Welcome, I'm your host, Francisca Porchas Coronado. This podcast is a project of Vigente in collaboration with Resilient Strategies. Vigente is a political home of Latinx people that is pro-black, pro-woman, pro-queer, pro-migrant, pro-poor, because our community is all that and more. Resilient Strategies is a healing justice project transforming the impact of state violence on our bodies and the collective as a critical part of liberation. Welcome to La Cura Podcast, everybody. Been thinking a lot about you, been thinking a lot about us, and a lot about what we need to do and can do to ground us daily and to just help us navigate the uncertainty of the moment and the uncertainty of the future. And when I say that, I am obviously referring to the current COVID-19 global epidemic, but I'm also referring to the U.S. elections. And I know I for sure feel like I'm grieving just where we are headed in terms of the elections and where um, it's pretty clear we're landing. And um, that feels like a really scary future as well. In thinking about us, I thought that it would be awesome if I called on a lot of my friends people who have been on this podcast and people who I would love to have at some point and that we could do a community care series that would be kicked off this week with this episode. And the idea for the community care series is that there would be a series of mini episodes, probably no more than 30 minutes. And also that a good crew of folks and people in their circles that are also wondering how they can support others in this moment and ourselves would make a set of offerings. And these offerings would look like prayers and poems and rituals and remedios and songs and just whatever we could do to support our intentional building of resilience in this moment where things feel so uncertain and where there's just so much information sort of flying at us from the news and from social media and from other people. And in the spirit of you know, building each other's resilience, supporting each other spiritually and morally, and then also just helping regulate our own nervous systems. And we know it's scientifically proven that we can co-regulate. So this is a way for all of us to co-regulate together. And so 
I will be putting these out hopefully a couple times a week. And ideally, we have an archive that people can use as a resource for themselves in these trying times and beyond, right? Because we're going to come out on the other side triumphant. For this first mini episode, we have Dr. Diana Quinn Inlakech, and she is a licensed naturopathic doctor offering consultation, traditional medicine, and somatic bodywork. She is a graduate of the National University of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon, and has been in practice since 2005. Her practice is trauma-informed with an anti-oppression, healing justice lens, grounded in intersectional feminism. And she is a member of Healing by Choice, a community of women of color, healing practitioners who offer a range of healing modalities for self-care and the reduction of racial harm in mind, body, spirit, and institution. We talked about how this virus is actually showing up in people's bodies, talked about the creativity of our community and all the different ways in which people can come together and are coming together and have come together for a long time, way before this virus. And lastly, she gives us some really great information on how to build up our immune systems um, in this moment. Enjoy. I think like many folks right now, um, just speaking from where I'm at and kind of what I'm feeling, um, being very close, trying to stay in very close um, connection with news as it is developing um, has been stressful. (laughs) Um, And as someone who um, I'm a naturopathic doctor, I'm not an epidemiologist or infectious disease doctor, but Uh, one of the principles of naturopathic medicine is prevention. And I have a number of patients and folks in the community that I've been in dialogue with, um, both about how we can best take care of ourselves and each other and focus on prevention. Um, I work with um, many people who are vulnerable because of pre-existing chronic illnesses, um, elders, Uh, So staying close to um, what's unfolding uh, in a situation that's rapidly changing with new information becoming available very quickly um, is uh, it's 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 a lot. So my intention is to take a little bit of self-care space after this recording today so that I can pause and make sure that I stay connected to my sources of uh, calm and resilience and go outside, talk to the trees, (laughs) uh, pray, and, you know, just remember to really kind of stay grounded as well. We even begin by lifting up just how this actually shows up physiologically. And I think it's important because there's so much information out there in the world and, um, and then wanting to talk a little bit about 
who's particularly vulnerable and most impacted in this moment and what to be sort of aware of? Yeah, so the most common symptoms that we've been hearing about are most commonly a dry cough, shortness of breath, uh, a fever, usually a low fever initially, maybe some aches and pains. Um, And most people won't have symptoms similar to a common cold, like runny nose and sore throat, but it is possible that they may be present just like that. Um, And some people might be asymptomatic or have very mild uh, symptoms and just kind of feel a little run down even from what I'm hearing. So, um, but it's important to remember that even uh, when these things present, although we're being asked to quarantine ourselves for at least two weeks, if we have any of these symptoms, um, it is still cold and flu season as well as allergy season in some places. So those could be the reasons that they um, are popping up. So I actually know someone who went to hospital to um, be evaluated and um, was diagnosed with influenza. So there's also still the actual flu. Um, so just bear that in mind. Um, so those are the uh, early symptoms that are showing up. And then what's um, coming later as the virus progresses uh, is that folks may be experiencing um, more difficulty breathing uh, uh, and kind of just a severe symptom picture like you would see with pneumonia or um, or bronchitis. So that's kind of how, um, you know, it's kind of being compared to in terms of how folks are feeling. Um, and there may be mild diarrhea because the virus can also affect the GI uh, cells as well. So one of the things that I wanted to sort of mention that is developing um, in our understanding and also in just how we're thinking about the virus from a um, prevention and uh, self-care, community care management standpoint is that some of the more severe symptoms that folks are uh, experiencing are related actually to the immune response itself. Um, And so you may have seen the word flying around in different reports and things. Uh, The word is cytokines. So cytokines are basically immune mediators that, um, are part of the way that the immune system does its job. And we know that folks that are vulnerable to the virus are folks that have uh, immunodeficiency or underactive um, immunity, which uh, the immune system and its function does tend to diminish as we grow older, which is one of the reasons that elders are um, somewhat more vulnerable, you know, considerably more vulnerable to the virus. Um, the other reason that elders are more susceptible is that uh, they would be possibly more likely to also have other chronic illnesses that um, as well make someone more susceptible to getting sick. So the piece about the cytokines that um, I wanted to speak to is um, this is kind of where they're rapidly working on some medications that can help to uh, halt the immune response for folks that are having those types of, you know, what it's called a cytokine storm. Um, And we're being very watchful and um, 
thoughtful about which even preventive and natural remedies that we're recommending for folks because many of the immune modulating herbs uh, um, that we commonly use like echinacea and astragalus and elderberry are immune activators and um, they work partly by increasing cytokines that help the body to fight infection. Um, what I'm understanding is that because there's a great deal of discussion about this online among herbalists and naturopathic physicians uh, and experts in the field is um, because there can be some um, exacerbation of those kind of acute immune reactions, those herbs are most suitable in a preventive or very early onset kind of way, but not suitable once the virus has started to progress. And most folks um, are, according to the data, are uh, when it is becoming so severe that folks are needing to um, go to hospital and kind of receive more treatment, that's typically the average of nine days in. So, and um, statistically, I think the hospitalization rate is about 10 to 20%. So um, we want to do everything we can to support immunity, but also be mindful and just really kind of thoughtful about what folks are, you know, turning to when they're, you know, treating themselves at home. I think I saw somebody's having a webinar who's an herbalist and they were like, uh, I think one of the topics is elderberry might not help you type thing. And it kind of reminds me of what you're saying. So there's a lot of debate that's happening online um, specifically about elderberry because of that, you know, um, activity. The question as to whether is it helpful? Is it possibly harmful? There's a lot that we don't know because most herbalists have not treated this yet. You know, so there's not really a lot of firsthand sort of empirical um, experience in the U.S. with folks who have done that. But I, I will say as well, some of the, the sources that I am uh, turning to um, from an evidence-based standpoint to get really thorough data is um, one piece is that a lot of the more disconcerting research is in vitro. And so we're making kind of the distinction between how something acts in a test tube versus how it acts in a body. Um, and there's a, there's an, a study that was just published um, out of China just maybe about two weeks ago, um, specific for COVID that was looking at classes of herbs that um, are ACE2 inhibitors, which is disrupting one of the mechanisms that the virus uses to um, impact and, you know, infect the respiratory cells. Um, and uh, Sambucus or elderberry is one of the herbs that they're looking at, as is astragalus. So I don't know that we have conclusive um, uh, evidence for certain one way or the other. And so this is kind of my point about things are changing. There's a lot that we're trying to figure out. Um, and although lots of people um, are, you know, commonly use those herbs, elderberry, echinacea, astragalus, they're very common. You know, people think of them when they're trying to support their immune system um, to prevent for from at least, you know, the common cold and flu. Uh, and in this case, there's a lot that we don't really know for certain. So what I'm recommending as, you know, some of this information is unfolding, that folks stick with the things that we feel really confident about, like garlic and um, 
uh, ginger and uh, mushrooms, which you can use both uh, in cooking, like shiitake mushrooms, maitake mushrooms, and they're also available as herbal extracts. Um, there's an herb called cordyceps that is in that same family um, that seems to be very effective as an antiviral that would be perfectly suitable. And then all manner of different aromatic spices that are used in cooking are helpful too, like turmeric and cinnamon um, and clove and things like that. So um, so those are things that I feel, uh, you know, we can, we can be comfortable with those. And it also brings us back around to remembering that, you know, food is medicine and also, you know, water is our first medicine. So staying hydrated and making some of these things as herbal teas, doing plant baths, making soups, um, doing uh, respiratory steams, that kind of thing. This is one virus in a virus-filled future. And by that, I mean like, you know, when I was a baby organizer doing climate justice work, and we talk about these sort of scenarios, you know, from scientists saying that the viruses that are in the glaciers and in the land, and as the glaciers is, are melting, these old, very old viruses, it's a theory, uh, that are prehistoric in some ways would sort of show up, right? Um, or the new viruses would come along because of climate change. And so in some ways, it's like we can begin to see a bit into what the future could look like um, given, you know, people of color, given poor people, given elders, disabled folks, um, people in prisons. And it is an opportunity, like you said, I think for us to, figure out how we prepare for those future moments, how we prepare for right now, which is, is it definitely is, and we need immediate sort of um, both survival and adaptation um, uh, strategies. And also there's so much to learn from this moment for what the future could hold. And after this drill is over, you know, could we be in a place uh, where we are much stronger, where we are much wiser, where we are, we are we're more practiced in what it could look like, what this drill and what this experience and what this crisis could teach us in this moment and what do we want to practice to get to the other side because this won't be the first time, right? Both from global capitalism sort of melting before our eyes to to our own health and our own survival and adaptation in the moment. You know, what might evolve out of this, I think, um, what I'm witnessing and sort of holding is this um, breakdown of sense of hyper individualism and and increased awareness of the need for inter interdependence. Um, I mean, obviously, this has not, it's not everywhere, it's not happening um, to the extent that we need it to. And there's a lot, there's a lot um, more that I think can evolve out of that. But um, when I think about the folks that are um, coming together and asking how, for example, with school closures and food insecurity um, and the impact that that will have on families with, you know, child, uh, school age children and folks coming together to um, increase donations to food banks. And there's a few sources and, um, this community that are pull, pulling together resources to um, make sure that there are meals. And I mean, that's just one example among many, you know, that I'm seeing kind of just um, 
uh, popping up as the situation is evolving. And the thing that, although there is this tension um, that I think you all are speaking to between knowing that the the folks that are most um, vulnerable are, you know, are folks that that can't stay home from work are folks that are uninsured or underinsured or undocumented or in detention centers or unhoused. And, you know, there's, there's so many, um, uh, folks that are going, you know, to be in need of receiving and connecting with support. And I'm seeing those networks of support that to me, just it, it makes me want to also speak to the fact that kind of even just in terms of our bodies and our physiology and our neuroendocrine system, that compassion and care is actually immunoprotective. Um, being in a space of isolation and anxiety is something that actually is harmful to us immunologically. It's not. Um, you know, supportive for our health uh, by any means. So I, I think um, these are things that I think holding the tension of um, emergence with communities of care to give, provide a, a, a bit of hope in the situation that otherwise can seem pretty grim from lots of perspectives. Um, I think yesterday I was thinking about like, um, you know, what do we have right now? How do we help ourselves and our folks, uh, especially because I would say the members of the organization that I work closely with, a lot of them, I would say, are like a paycheck away from from possibly being evicted or, or possibly going hungry. And so what could that look like to take good care of our people? Um, so both the pushback ideologically and how we individually, individually are, could relate to each other. And then two, that we also do have answers in most cases, and we do have examples and models that we could either follow as community if we haven't been practicing. I'm curious if you could speak a little bit more about some of the models that you're seeing right now. And um, I think you the, the thing around compassion and care is immunoprotective is actually pretty brilliant. <laughs> and I think we know that. Um, we overall know that. And, um, but it's a very good reminder. I know you work with with Healing by Choice and and that there are models coming out of Detroit as well um, that we can all learn from um, for the last few years. And and I know you've been a part of that, so we'd love to hear a little bit more about it. I have been working with um, Healing by Choice. This is uh, for two years now. And um, I can say that uh, in this moment, there are some things that we're kind of doing collectively as a group to uh, sort of meet the situation. And um, currently, we're planning um, sort of an in-service amongst our uh, collective, our core collaborators and um, other uh practitioners that we are in relationship with this weekend. And then we're in the process of planning a webinar um, offering that will be a panel of speakers, um, including myself and several other practitioners, including um, an acupuncturist, Chinese medicine practitioner, practitioner, uh, as well as um, I believe a yoga uh, practitioner and I think an allopathic um, medical provider, um, 
medical doctor or a nurse practitioner just sort of um, bring in an interdisciplinary perspective on what folks can be doing uh, to care for themselves health-wise, mental, emotional, spiritual, physical health-wise for themselves and within their communities and expanding on some of the um, nuts and bolts of um, what we're not really getting into in this conversation, but could be a very long discussion of um, resources, uh, plant medicines, foods, um, using water as medicine, hydrotherapy, using, um, you know, what we have available to us uh, and, you know, kind of drawing on those resources to build um, resilience in our um, immunities and also strategies for um caring for ourselves and others who may be um, experiencing uh, infection with the virus. So we're, we're working on that um, at the moment. And I have also been in collaboration with some of my partners in Healing by Choice and other members of the community to gather donations of herbal medicines and vitamins and essential oils and different products that we're distributing to under-resourced communities and folks who are kind of seeking some of those things that don't otherwise have access to them. So there's a few different routes that we're approaching this with at the present. Would love to open it up to see if there's uh, any particular things that you want to lift up of how folks can tend to their own nervous systems and their own immunity. When we're framing, let's say, particular nutrients or even herbs it's such a you know kind of individual experience and there's also so much individualization that to some degree really um, is needed with you know kind of making a really appropriate guideline for someone sort of based on you know, for example, we're, you know, facing the same virus, but not everybody will experience it the same way, even if the symptoms look more or less alike. So, you know, I'm kind of bearing in mind that a lot of our traditions with plant medicines and these different modes of healing take into account that it's not you know, a one size fits all <laughs> paradigm. So, and that said, you know, what I really feel called to emphasize for folks just um, kind of as a overarching comment would be really, again, you know, bringing in the, the food as medicine piece and, and thinking about this in terms of even if we are, for example, making a pot of soup um, for our family or to freeze so that we have it if, you know, down the line we fall ill and need to have a meal prepared, or if we're exchanging some kind of doing, you know, kind of a meal exchange within our community where each, um, you know, kind of person or family or household makes a dish and then kind of exchanges it or anything like that so that, you know, we, we can be, you know, preparing food that we're um, dropping off for neighbors or for elders who need access to that. So there can still be this community piece and it's not this, you know, strictly isolated or individual 
thing in terms of, you know, what I want to put into my body to support my own individual immune system. But one of the things that I, I think about that I wanted to mention is is actually just thinking about all of our microorganisms within our bodies. <laughs> so our, our whole universe is uh, within the microbiome and the gut and how uh, influential that is for our overall immune system, um, you know, kind of similarly to the way that, you know, we're networks, the single unit of humanity isn't one person, it's, you know, two or more. Thinking about the fact that, you know, even our own individual bodies is, you know, we're this vast ecosystem and uh, feeding the gut with fermented foods, if um, those are available, they're, they're very easy and inexpensive to make. And this is another thing that I kind of think about in terms of, you know, these are ancestral foods that uh, our, our peoples made as a means of preservation of food so that they would be shelf stable and last longer. And so there's also this calling back of some of that ancestral wisdom and the knowledge that we're really feeding our immunity when we consume those ferments. So that's one um, piece. And, you know, also kind of bringing in, I mentioned earlier, the mycelium, the the mushrooms, there's a whole vast, um, you know, kind of family of uh, medicinal mushrooms that have so much to offer. And I think of how these have been sort of framed. Again, I know Adrian's, uh, Adrian Marie Brown's work has been mentioned um, on this podcast already. And I think of, you know, kind of how she speaks to the interdependence and the networks of mycelium. And they're just absolutely brilliant organisms that are in communication with our own bodies and our own immunity and have so much, um, you know, to teach and to offer us. So those are um, really powerful medicines that I really like working with. Um, that I feel really called to to bring in and to name. And there are um, a few antiviral herbs that I'll just mention that are also helpful um, for folks if they want to just, you know, kind of try to maybe think of these or, or look at them, keep them in their medicine cabinet. And um, other than the variety of mushrooms, particularly cordyceps is one. Usnea is another herb with antiviral properties. Osha is another lovely herb with antiviral properties. So, so these are some of the um, the medicines that uh, I think about, as well as things like mullein, which grow you know, really readily. Um, I think Dory Midnight and her really beautiful poem about washing your hands kind of mentions, um, you know, in this time of collective care and building upon our, you know, already existing networks of mutual aid and, you know, our ancestral memory and kinship structures of mutual aid is, you know, kind of knowing not only who needs help, but who has resources, who has Ella campaign in their garden, you know, so these are, these are things to think about both in terms of access, community herbalisms, uh, community gardens, where some of these things, or even just, you know, Mullen just is a very common herb that many people, you know, can find access, which is a beautiful plant for respiratory health. So those are just a few that come to mind that I'd like to sort of bring in. 
we'll be continuing this conversation. I think it's one of, of several that I would love to have with you. I'm just grateful and for folks that are listening, they're going to be listening to this, are going to benefit and it's going to trigger uh, really great conversations and, and lead also to some collective imagination and creativity and, uh, and more connections. So Thank you. Moment of gratitude uh, for inviting me, Francisca, and also to say that I really feel uh, deeply honored to be included here. I'm deeply moved and, and grateful for all the work that you do in the world and the, uh, all the offerings that you bring as well, Francisca. So thank you deeply. Thank you for listening to La Cura Podcast. This podcast is hosted and produced by me, Francisca Pochas Coronado, edited by Rafael Maya. Our music is by Rafael Maya. Please subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can find us on social media at La Cura Podcast. Bye bye, la wo.